Hello there, this is Dr. Jay Wrigley, and today we'll be mapping hunger hormones on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15 Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Dr. Jay Wrigley. Dr. Jay Wrigley is a practicing functional medicine doctor for more than 26 years. He first got his bachelor's degree from Taylor University, then went to UNC Chapel Hill for a master's in biochemistry, graduated from the National College of Naturopathic Medicine in Portland, Oregon, and completed his postdoctorate functional medicine and clinical nutrition training in Boulder, Colorado. He operated the clinic The Art of Living Center in Charlotte, North Carolina, before shifting to online consultations, which he now conducts globally through Zoom. Dr. J is passionate about using his extensive experience to enhance the health and happiness of those he works with by successfully remedying health conditions that have been unsuccessfully treated by drugs, surgery, or other therapies. Dr. Wrigley, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm glad to be here, Andrea. Like we were saying, third time is a charm. We've tried several times, yeah. and I've been very excited for this conversation, really looking forward to discussing the topic of hunger hormones because they're so often overlooked and misunderstood. So I'm wondering if you could start us off by first defining what a hor hunger hormone is, and then we can look at which hormones would be classified as hunger hormones. Is that a good place to start? Sure, I guess. Let's see. I'm going to first have to lay that out by to say that under the umbrella, we would have to say that almost every hormone would have some component of a hunger hormone because every hormone in your body drives some particular type of a metabolic reaction, which therefore would require energy from whether it be a cellular space or whether we're talking about brain chemistry. But with that being said, there are certain ones that stick out more than anything else. And I think the two that maybe most people are most aware of are what's called leptin and another hormone that's called ghrelin. And these are the main hunger hormones. Let's start with leptin. Leptin is a hormone that's made within the your adipose tissue or fat cells that sends signals to the brain to let the brain know that the body has adequate energy supplied to it and doesn't really need to take in any more of it. And so if that relationship is working correctly between the fat cells and the brain tissue, then you get this relieving of hunger or this satiety feeling of, I don't need to eat anymore. 
because our energy requirements at a cellular level have been taken care of. Now, the problem with that is that all too often that is not working extremely well for a lot of people. And just like a lot of people have heard this idea of what is called insulin resistance, you can become leptin resistant. And with the leptin resistant, this means that leptin is not sufficiently getting into these receptor sites in the neuronal cells in the brain. And therefore, you're getting mixed messages of whether or not the energy levels have been met. And this can lead to all kinds of issues around people who have a hard time getting filled up because they're not getting that mechanism working correctly. And so they can stay hungry all the time. And so that's a big one. Yeah. Well, I first want to appreciate that you spoke about the fact that all hormones are hunger hormones because of the way they're interacting in the body. I like to think of hormones as kind of like constellations, right? Everything is impacting everything else. And then I also appreciate the definition of the hormone, you know, what is leptin, but then the fact that it can be functioning correctly or incorrectly for reasons that I'm sure we'll discuss. But I just wanted to kind of underscore the reality that there's the hormone and then there's the hormone in relationship to the other hormones. And then are we receiving the hormone? Are we able to utilize so many different aspects as opposed to just identifying the hunger hormone? Right. Exactly. Not only do we have to look at sometimes about the amount or level of a hormone that would be circulating, even more importantly is, is this hormone reaching its target tissue or receptor site and informing the inside of that cell of what it's supposed to tell that cell to do? Because we see a lot in hormonal chemistry is that you'll see that there's adequate hormone circulating through the bloodstream, but it's not getting to the target tissues. And therefore it becomes very confusing for a lot of times the practitioner who may not have been versed in this to think that, okay, everything's fine. We can rule out this Miss Jones, so to speak, because you have adequate function of this particular gland and its hormonal output, but nobody's paying attention to that it's not getting into its target tissue and therefore it's might as well not even be there because it's just not working. And you have to look at that kind of stuff too. Okay. So we looked at leptin before we go any further and look at like what could be a trigger for this dysfunction in the body. Let's take a look at ghrelin. So ghrelin is, you know, you can think about this as the antagonist or the opposite side of leptin. And Ghrelin is a hormone that lets your body know that there is insufficient energy to drive kind of metabolic machinery throughout the cells of your body and organs of your body. And so it's stimulating the brain to say that we need more energy and it's going to do that by provoking appetite. So you're going to get hungry in the presence of ghrelin secretion because that's what the body is saying is that we need better nutrition into the cells and we're not getting it. And so we're going to stimulate appetite for you to go out and seek food in order to make those requirements. Now, the problem with this is that there are so many problems with this, but one of the biggest ones is a lot of people stay in a constant state of over ghrelin 
exposure and secretion because the foods that they are eating do not really contain much nutritional value to them. And so this is not a calorie thing. This is about, is the body adequately getting the nutrients that it needs in order to, you know, keep homeostasis. And so if you're eating a bunch of, you know, basically we'll use the term garbage food or junk food, this is why people a lot of times are hungry all the time because they're not receiving any real nutrition from that high calorie, high, you know, seed oil based food that they're eating. So the brain is going, we might as well not have even eaten. So it's going to keep that hunger signal flying around because it wants nutrients and you're not really giving them that, even though you might be eating a bunch of high calorie food. So if we look at the standard American diet and we think about our ancestry, is the current lifestyle leading to more dysfunction at this hormonal level than we've seen historically? 100%. 100% for so many reasons. So you could start and go with, let's just talk about when we went into this idea that cholesterol was the problem and caused cardiovascular disease. And therefore, we went on this tear of people should be eating a low fat diet. And so we moved away from the nutrient density of, you know, real quality fat. And we replaced that with a horrible version of fat that is very pro-inflammatory. And so that was just one of the things that would be leading these signals of that we're not getting nutrition because real quality fat is very dense in nutrition, especially the fat-soluble vitamins of A and D and K and E. But these seed oils don't have any of that. So people who are trying to eat these low-fat, low-cholesterol diets are you know, basically starving at a cellular level. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, then you take things like the fact that we have not taken care of our nutritional topsoil that we grow our food in very well at all. And most of it has eroded or it has been so over monocropped or it's been so sprayed with pesticides and fungicides and herbicides that the nutritional value of the dirt that our, you know, our plants are growing in, and even the grass that a lot of cattle are eating is, you know, not anything like it would have been a hundred years ago. And so the nutrition in food is not there. Even if you're making good choices about the food that you're eating, a lot of times you're not still not being able to get all the nutrients that you need to drive the machinery of the body because of that reason. Then if you, you know, add in just the stress of living in the 21st century, anytime you stress an organism, it's going to run through its nutrients at a faster rate. And so those have to be replaced. And this goes on and on and on. We have set ourselves up very poorly for having good hormonal balance or being able to regulate this type of system within our body. Yeah, so well said and a thousand percent with everything that you mentioned, which are these triggers that set us up for this dysfunction. Are there other physiological dysfunctions like inflammatory cascades or other hormonal imbalances that come back to blood sugar, insulin, thyroid, cortisol that also offset these hormones? Every single bit of what you said. So <laughs> this is, uh, you know, again, Since this is what I've spent my life doing, 
it's very hard to like condense this down totally. into anything less than probably a week long conversation. <laughs> but some of them that come to mind is this: I think that uh, most people are, who are interested in this type of conversation are beginning to understand what's so important about what we call metabolic health. And when we're talking about metabolic health, we're really talking about eating a diet that the hormonal response to the foods that you eat would be in alignment with optimal human health. And so what's happening now is that the majority of the diet that's eaten, certainly in the Western world, but this is becoming worldwide now is being overcompensated by the hormone called insulin in response to the high amount of refined carbohydrate in the diet. And this is where the inflammatory cascade really starts is that when you eat foods that cause a tremendous burden on the pancreas to produce enough insulin to regulate the sugar that this food is turned into, it sets off this myriad of this inflammatory cascade, which begins to show up in every system, leading to chronic disease of arthritis, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's, and on and on and on. So there's another hormone response that is problematic now is too much insulin secreted because of our poor choices of refined processed carbohydrate food. One of the biggest ones that I see is that, you know, I deal with women and transitions from you know, adulthood into perimenopause and into menopause after that. And so the relationship between two hormones like estrogen and progesterone are hugely important and how they relate to things like metabolic health is as a woman begins to decline in her production of progesterone, which will happen first, usually starting in her early 40s, but estrogen levels remain consistent for a number of years after that. The ratio between those two hormones gets further and further apart between progesterone and estrogen. Now we're in a state of what we call by default estrogen dominance because we have more estrogen than we do progesterone to antagonize that estrogen. Now the big problem there, well there's so many problems, but one of the ones that it's going to affect women and the way that they see weight gain and get more fatigued and don't sleep well, and on and on and on is this, estrogen competes at the cellular level for these receptor binding sites. It competes against T3 thyroid hormone. So if you don't have enough progesterone to antagonize estrogen and estrogen dominance is floating freely in the bloodstream, what's going to happen is estrogen is going to win out this battle at the receptor site over thyroid hormone. The doctor's going to say, well, we just ran your thyroid blood test and you've got plenty of thyroid hormone in your bloodstream. Everything looks great. But this woman is showing up now with all kinds of hypothyroidism symptoms. Her skin's getting dry. She's getting more constipated. She's getting depressed. Her hair's beginning to get brittle and falling out. She doesn't sleep well at night. She's gaining weight without changing her diet. So she's got all these symptoms of hypothyroidism, but the blood test says it's all good. Well, that's just because estrogen's winning this battle. And if something isn't done to clear out this excess estrogen and support better progesterone and maybe even do some nutritional work to support better thyroid function for this woman, she's, she's going to have a hard time getting through this. So that's just an example of another way that hormones play a big role.
Yeah, I think, and I I also want to appreciate that it's hard to cover all your life's work in this condensed time. And luckily, we have some great podcasts to link to on estrogen, on progesterone, on glyphosate, on insulin. And the really important point in this podcast is to remind clinicians that everything in the body is connected. We are all unique and all things matter. And what I love that you're speaking about is that we can't jump to there's something wrong in the hunger hormones without looking at the cascade, the biochemistry of all the hormones and the terrain within the body. Do I have that right? Absolutely. Yeah. So how do we focus our attention on leptin and ghrelin? What would we do if we were saying yes to everything and I'm going to support this with the factors on the right side of the matrix, sleep and relaxation, exercise and movement, and so on and so forth? Well, you know, first and foremost, you start with diet. 90% of this is you need to make sure that someone is getting nutrient-dense food without stimulating a, you know, this hormonal cascade of too much insulin and things like this. So in my practice, I'm very much in favor of a very protein-dense diet. Now, that would go against a lot of vegetarians, but one of the ways that you straighten out half this hormonal stuff is that you prioritize protein in your diet and then modify for you know your fat and your carbohydrate intake on, again, the nutritional density of those foods. And so if you use whole fat as opposed to seed oil for fat, and you look at what are the vegetable kingdom that would provide probably the most nutritional density. Those would be things like cruciferous vegetables, fruits from avocado and berries. If you structure a diet that is so incredibly nutrient dense, you'll find that that will handle the majority of the hormones that are related to hunger, like the ghrelin and the leptin, because they're influenced by, are you getting enough nutrients into the cells of your body? Yes. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And we don't subscribe to any one dietary theory here at the Functional Nutrition Alliance and in my teaching, but a thousand percent with the prioritization of a nutrient-dense diet that includes good proteins and fats. And I experienced this myself over a decade ago when there were issues with my thyroid. I wasn't yet diagnosed with Hashimoto's and I did add more live foods into my diet and raw foods. And I started to feel that satiety again that had been missing. I was already eating a healthy diet, but that introduction of the plant-based foods, of more raw plant-based foods, again, more live and probiotic-rich foods. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I didn't even know I had an issue. But when I resolved the issue, I could recognize that I wasn't appropriately feeling my hunger and satiety mechanisms. You know, again, we could talk about that forever. I, my question <laughs> to you and only you would know is, is that because of the addition to some of those beautiful foods you just talked about? Is that because of the overcrowding and what you moved away from? Because, you know, I would believe anybody who's got an autoimmune disorder, I'm going to go after First of all, foremost, sugar and grain and omega-6 rich seed oil. So if that's getting crowded out of your diet as you're adding more probiotic rich 
nutrient dense vegetables and raw foods into your diet, then, you know, which one of them is it or is it a combination of the two? For me, it was only the grains in that mix. Like there were whole okay. grains in my diet and then they were removed. But, you know, I was under a lot of stress and there was there were a lot of things going on in my life. So just even those subtle changes, I think it's good. We're all unique, of course, but it's good for people to hear that these subtle changes can make a difference for themselves, for their clients and patients, and that we have to go through those processes of figuring out what's true for them. I love the question that you asked me because it's unique to me. Yeah, sure. Anything else that you wish that practitioners knew just off the bat about these hunger hormones that we could be considering in our clinical care? Outside of just prioritizing nutrient density, the other things would be stress management, you know, I don't know how people in this crowd feel about supplementation. I'd be a big advocate for anybody making sure that they're taking care of their magnesium levels. Most of the world is deficient in it. And without magnesium that drives 600 different biochemical pathways, you're going to be more prone to internal stress, which is going to lead to increase in cortisol, which is going to stimulate ghrelin to tell your brain that you're hungry. So there are things like that. Stress modification through exercise, yoga, walking, meditation. These are things that are greatly help balance out leptin and ghrelin. So those are a few. Yeah, that's brilliant. And you'll probably be pleased to know that while we're nearly at episode 300 of the podcast, episode number one was on magnesium because it's that important. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Wrigley. I'm so pleased to have this conversation with you and to put these hunger hormones into their physiological and biochemical context. Thanks for having me. The 15-Minute Matrix is hosted and produced by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The podcast is edited and mixed by Brian Paik of Pacific Audio, and special thanks to Natalie Merrill, Alia Hale, Pamela Geismar, and Rowan Bradley for their support in making the 15-Minute Matrix possible. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to see the completed functional nutrition matrix that accompanies today's or any episode, be sure to head over to the podcast website. Again, that's 15minutematrix.com. We love when you share our episodes with your friends and colleagues, leave a review and rate the show. That helps us to grow our collective message that functional nutrition is the future of healthcare. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Functional Nutrition Alliance, and you can follow me at Andrea Nakayama. And if you or someone you know is interested in becoming a functional nutrition counselor, head over to fxnutrition.com to learn more about our full body systems program. Full Body Systems is our 10-month immersion course where you'll learn the systems-based approach to addressing the root causes of your clients' issues through client education, diet, and lifestyle modification. Again, you can always learn more at fxnutrition.com.